Everybody, it's that time of the week again, bitch. That's right, you're tuning in to another exciting episode. <laughs> I know I play it up really loud. Of old school, new school comedy podcast. And we are coming to you sort of live from the comic strip live here in New York City. And with me this week, she's technically she's new school. But to me, she's old school because she's got an old soul and I've, you know, she's just been a huge part of the comedy community for a really long time on the, on the, the backside of it, on the underlyings of it. Like she's really part of the production of this and keeps us all afloat. Um, I was, uh, last year was honored to headline her show at the duplex, which was Queernacopia. And you know me and my gays, I live for the community. So I want to introduce you, my dear friend, Dana Friedman. Hi. Oh, what an honor. What an honor to be here. Is it though? Yeah. <laughs> I'm at the comic strip, not with you. Oh, exactly. There's the, oh, now you're talking. You come with the package. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the byproduct. Yeah. As for old school and new school, I'm going to be 59 at the end of the month. Aw. So I'm old. Happy birthday. No, you're not old. I'm 53. Yeah, but we're, see, we're women of a certain age. That's it. <laughs> of a certain age, nobody else wants to be. All right. Oh my God, I was on that show. I was on Women of a Certain Age at the Crane Theater. Uh huh. And uh, let's just put it nicely and say it wasn't my best night. And I really wanted to impress Carol Montgomery. She'd seen me before. She'd been on my shows. Mm-hmm. Um. And she was kind enough to have me on. And. It was it was one of those nights you did ten minutes of material in seven and a half minutes. Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! And even the headliner—I forgot her name—but like real, really old, and <laughs> she was getting tremendous laughs, and you couldn't tell she was working so hard. And at the end of the night, I, I you know I I um I asked her you know what she thought of the audience she said it was like pulling teeth yeah but yet she did not give any indication she was having a bad time of it oh yeah and that comes with experience too you know on the on december 19th in comedy years i'm turning 28 wow or no december 18th see i'm uh, i'm old i forget the dates but yeah i'm turning 28 on the 18th Mm. and after a while you know even though there can be tough audiences and you gotta pull I've had a couple weeks ago. I was in Jersey City, and it was like pulling teeth out of a out of a hippo with his mouth shut, and, and you know, like they were embedded into the jawbone. Like it was bad. And then I got off stage, and people were high fiving me. I got all these followers on Instagram afterwards. And mm. like to me, I sucked. It was a hard set to get everybody going, but it was like, but yeah, and it's it. It's it's a there's a skill to making it look easy. Well, also we have no self esteem. We have no objectivity. None. Zero. Nada. We're up there alone, and so we're all in our own thoughts. Yep. Um. Years ago, well, but when, when I since I was a kid, I was a professional musician. Oh wow! And I started playing music when I was, you know, with like groups and getting paid when I was thirteen. Wow. What did you play? May I ask? Guitar and electric bass. Nice. Yeah. So I did that for 
46 years till I got rheumatic arthritis. <laughs> um, and so over the years, as I started doing this, I wondered who of, of the various groups to which I belong, who are the most self-absorbed? Um, musicians, comics, or trans people? <laughs> wow, that's a tough... Is that a Jeopardy question? No. Well, uh, well, well no, because you can't, you, you can't give... You can't give the answers inside the Jeopardy question. <laughs> right. But... Um, but it's it's so so my speaking from my experience the more alone you are the more self-absorbed you're going to be absolutely right. absolutely so it's in this order and in, in 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 yeah basically it's musicians are the least self-absorbed sure cuz they have to share the stage with other people you got you got to show up mm -hmm. you got to be on time yep you gotta listen to you literally have to listen to other people yeah. and be in time with them and be in sync and yep. agree on something. Yeah. Musicians. Then comedians. Mm. Cause you know, to a lesser extent we have to work with other people. True. Even though we're alone up there, it takes something but trans people are about as alone in their heads as you're gonna get. Oh my god. And you know, sometimes since you're three or four years old, all you can think of is something's up. Right. And some people know exactly what it is, and I did not, but whatever. Does it matter? Well, you know, you're just in your head in different yeah, ways. Sure. Either way, uh, musicians, comics, then trans people. Trans people at the top of the list in terms of being self-absorbed in their own heads and because we are the most alone yes and I, that's why back in los angeles you know i had friends that were trans and doing stand-up and mm. to this day he can't be in comedy who he is off stage mm. so in comedy he's still he and a man and a whole you know his whole life because he makes a uh, Model money, yeah, lots of money, like six, seven figures. Like he makes a lot of money doing stand up. So, but this is a person who identifies as as a trans woman, yeah, and takes the hormones and everything, but hides everything under clothes so he can work. And when he comes home, it's her. Wow, that's He's afraid. Really, that's afraid. really tough. And this is He's the person. This is a person who's still working. Yep, full time, huh. and at the top of his game yeah but she can't come out as her she's too scared and this is an older person mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. next time i come to la i'm gonna ask anybody who might qualify if i could see him naked so i could see which one has which one who looks like a man that has <laughs> i want to find out who this is strong enough for a man but made with ph balance like a woman <laughs> that's it so um being a trans comedian, uh -huh. you know, so to speak, you know, yeah. How how do you navigate this crazy, insane world that we have chosen as our path? Everybody comes at comedy from their own life experience, hundred percent. Well, I mean, you know, today, mm -hmm. um, like in the seventies or the sixties or the fifties, people would do these canned jokes that take yeah. my wife, please. Yes. Yeah, we don't do that anymore. No. We talk about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so everybody's story is unique, even if yeah. they have things in common. Yeah. Like there's a wonderful trans stand-up comic named Jay McBride. 
and Jay McBride's hilarious. I love hilarious. Jay. So smart, so fun, so ballsy. Yep. And you know, it's a... so we have some common experiences. We have a couple of jokes that are similar in theme. Well, of course. Yeah. That's just human nature. We're all right. going to be similar in theme at some point. And who else? Julia Scotty. Julia Scotty's wonderful. Julia Scotty was on the first uh, edition of the first special for Funny Women of a Certain Age with Carol Montgomery, who Carol was on the show a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and she's so funny. She's she's hilarious. She's she's another one who's um, who's really ballsy. Oh. And the thing about Julia is that she was a comic for 20-something years before she quit and then transitioned and then decided to come back. Yeah. So she had all that life experience on stage before, which was 20 solid years of road work. And then she comes back with all that experience now as a whole new perspective, as her real perspective. It's She's fascinating. She's so funny. And her stage persona is sort of cranky old lady yes and she fits it perfectly oh yeah so she hosted um she, i'm sorry she headlined um another one on my cornucopia show mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the duplex mm -hmm. and um i think i was i think i was hosting the end of the show because um i had i had to host the end of the show i had hired another host she got sick uh -huh. in the middle um and whatever. So I introduced my auntie Julia. We all refer to her as Auntie Julia. Yes. And um, I had gotten the name of her new album wrong. <laughs> and as she comes to the stage before she hits the mic, she said, "You had one job." <laughs> And she was right. She was right. And she, oh, she killed it. Uh, it was she, so nice. She's such a riot. She is such a riot. She came all the way from like deep in South Jersey to do my like, show. Yep. Yep. No, she's amazing. And, uh, you know, I have to say too, like, like I, I, I read your statuses all the time when you do funny and anecdotes or something that happens, and I listen to your stand-up because I've gotten to work with Antidote, you a few times. Anecdotes, the opposite of sickness. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, that's my antidotes, you know. There you go. Good night. Thank you. Good night, folks. All right, so. Ooh, wow. <laughs> Fancy, right? Morning zoo, baby. <laughs> but I love your writing. Aww. You have a different perspective. You have a very, like... Like ethereal, but very intellectual perspective. It's, wow. It's, it's, I really enjoy your writing. That's very sweet. Thank you. It's just honest. You know, I call it, you know, I'm a comedy fan too, even though I'm an old hag in this game, but I'm still a huge comedy fan and I love it more now. You're six years younger than me and you're an old hag. So well, I'm an old hag in the game. That's what oh, I, I you know, I'm 28 years in and I love it more now than I did when I started. And I'm a baby. So yes, it, uh, it, uh, you were 16 when I was born. Yep. So you're just 12. I am. I'm a, I'm a biter. <laughs> you're hitting puberty now. Comedy puberty. Mm. <laughs> She's like, now oh. that needs to be the name of a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and you know the cops will raid the, the oh, yeah. raid the place they hear comedy puberty. Oh yeah, <laughs> they'd want to be a part of it. But uh, but I really enjoy your writing and and is there? And I love telling like old stories about like gigs and stuff. Has there been a hell gig that you've ever been a part of that you just went, oh my god, it was like the worst night of my life, or it was just crazy? What was like your? Can you think of what we all have our hell gig stories? 
Yeah. Um, it, it seems like... <laughs> it seems like, with the exception of um, one fundraiser I don't want to talk about because they meant well. <laughs> you know, it's good when it starts off, they meant well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it's people who are very passionate about their cause... Uh, but we're not good comedy producers. Um, That's normal. Yeah, not going to talk about that because it's it's not nice when you know to make fun of people who really just gave it a shot and this is not their full time thing. Well, it's but, not that you're making fun of. You're just telling the experience of how. Like I always say, how funny it was or how bad it was. Like yeah. I enjoy, I enjoy hell gigs because to me it's just another story to tell. And it adds a little, you know, little girth to your body. You know, yeah. it adds a little hair on your chest or, you know. Now, because I had been around comedians for a very long time yep. before I started in stand-up. Yep, you have. And that's I've, why I consider you old school, because you've been a part of this for so long before you tried it. And um, I've been around, and I've been around musicians. One of the things I learned is not to be afraid of bombing. Yes. Do you hear that, kids? Listen to this woman. She knows what she's talking about. Don't be afraid to bomb. Don't be afraid to take chances. Yes. Even the greats. Even the greats have a bad night. Oh, we all. If you don't, if you always have a good night, you're not taking enough chances or risk. Right. You're not pushing yourself hard enough. You're staying in your comfort zone. And you know what? Even if you stay in your comfort zone, you know, Memphis isn't going to like a comfort zone of New York. New, 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 new. Um, but I had, I had more than a couple of nights of just blank stares. <laughs> we all have. Yep. Um, you know, 10 minutes of material in six minutes. <laughs> or seven minutes. Right. It would be conceited to actually only prepare six and expect to, you're not going to get four minutes of laughs. No, no. But what, what, whatever it is I prepared, uh, I did it in two thirds of the time. But at whatever time I was supposed to do, I got done in two-thirds <laughs> I had prepared, and I did not have enough um, to really uh, keep going. Um, matter of fact, so uh, I'm I'm really, really conceited. I have what they call chutzpah, which yes. is loosely translated as... I always thought it was balls. Come into those, oh, in order to have balls, there. I mean, there, there's nerves in the ball. Yeah, that's so true. There, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Otherwise, the balls don't work. Or they go hand in hand or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, the, yeah, in, in mid-December 2000. Careful, you're hitting. Sorry. In, in mid-December 2011, first time I got on stage. Oh, wow. In front of six people. December also. Yeah. Look at um, this. We have a birthday month. So. It's it. Not only is it my birthday month, but I decided I was going to celebrate December first as my comedy versary. Why? Good. Because it's the birthday of Sarah Silverman, um, Richard Pryor, mm-hmm. Bette Midler. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who's who's the fourth one? Uh, Woody. Oh, Woody Allen. Woody Allen, sort of. Everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Uh, right. Woody Allen, Bette Midler, Sarah Silverman. Richard Pryor, mm-hmm. um, except that Woody in his autobiography said he was really born late on November 30th. <laughs> At 1201. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and he, by the way, is one of the reasons I thought, oh, my God, I could do that. 
Right. Because his stuff was so smart and so Jewish. Yes, and your stuff is very, very smart, too. I, I can see why you would resonate with Woody Allen. Except, okay, fine, so... I hate to confess this, but it's true. I'm old. Because I'm old and the comedians I first loved were old, I watched Groucho. The, uh, Groucho died August 19th, 1977. Wow. And I remember that because they played all his movies on Channel 11 back to back. Wow. They played the Marx Brothers movies back to back, and I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. I didn't know that was possible. Right. And... I, I was blown away, and that's when I started listening to a lot of stand-up. And um, when I started doing it, uh, I studied with Jessica Curson. One of the best, one of my favorite people in the whole world. She was a great teacher as well. And one of the things she told me was to see an acting teacher. Yep. And the acting teacher told me more than anything. I mean, he gave me some tips. I, I came to him because I thought I had, like, some body tics I wanted to get rid of. Sure. Yeah. So that was an that was later. The number one thing I got from him was to slow down. Yes. Take note, kids. This is comedy bombs. This is comedy gems she's dropping. So the thing is I didn't know I didn't know how. I didn't know how to slow down. Sure. Right. But then I hate to say it because it's all the great misogynists. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Cosby told taught me how to sell a joke. By yeah. slowing down. Listen, as creepy as that man was, is and will always be. Yeah. Genius. Yeah. My wife and I have five children, and the reason why we have five children is that we do not want six. <laughs> and those we have, we want to get out of the house. Yep. Before we die, <laughs> just to get them out. Because all children have brain damage. Yes. And that's 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 acting. I mean, you know, he did the same thing with yeah. the with the Noah story. Yep. All right. Astounding, astounding delivery. And yep. so that was my model for slowing down and really selling mm -hmm. the joke. And, and and being in the moment with the joke. And that's a huge thing. I see comics will, they have five minutes and they'll try to cram every joke they ever wrote in a five minute set. I'm like, what are you doing? Slow down, take a breath, take your time, pace yourself. So you get two jokes out in a five minute set. Great. That's five minutes for two jokes. Now your other jokes could be another five and then that's how you build. And like, you know, what what helped me to slow down over the years? Because I took the Groundlings to learn how to trust my instincts. I went through the Groundlings Damn. in the '90s because I'm like, that's I impressive, people. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, I only did it. I didn't want to be in the theater company. I just wanted to be a better writer mm. and a better like if there was a heckler or something happened in the room. I wanted to be able to know I can trust my instincts yeah. and not question them before it comes out of my mouth. Yeah. And that's where I got my edge because that was always how I was. And the groundlings just kind of gave me permission and taught me how to build that muscle stronger. So when I got out of the groundlings, I was like, I felt like a different person. 
and that's where like I'm able to handle a crowd without any material I can do 20 like I'm like Jessica like I had the idea of like I should do my second album just all crowd work and see how much I can do and then have the other half and then she just did full crowd work so great minds think alike yeah she's brilliant at that so it's like being in the moment taking breaths you don't have to your jokes you know yeah, of course not so taking breaths and i thought that and then by the time i got up when i was working with dice again in 2019 the best thing is is to, to teach someone how to slow down play a theater play a theater of thousand two thousand people well what's the what's the difference uh the sound waves it, it takes a while for the joke to get out to the back boom and then the laughs take a second to come back like a wave at the ocean on the beach. It so, takes a while to get out there even with the contemporary sound technology. Yeah, but their laughs, it takes a second. It's it's, it's all, you know, the speed of light. It's a speed of sound. So yeah. it's an intimacy in intimate clubs, yeah. bam, 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 bam. Right. But in a theater, you got to slow down to wait for that sound wave to literally, it's only like a second or two. Like, like A second like, is an eternity. Yeah, but like, it's like literally it's so, but you'll feel it. So you have to pace yourself. So it's like, that was so much fun to be able to slow down, let the jokes hit, let the crowd react. And it came back to the, to the beach, like a wave coming out in the ocean. And then Zoom, and then lockdown. Oh my God! So that that was that's when I found out just how long a second is. Yes, yes, and take a breath. Well, no, no. Well, it's like like oh my God, the joke died, and then a second later, the response comes back for yeah. Zoom. So Zoom was my first theater show. Yeah, no, and that was what I was getting to. Was that Zoom? I was like, oh my God. This is going to help so many people slow the fuck down because you got to wait for that delay in the in the Zoom for the reactions. So people actually slow down and learn. Well, some did, you know, mm. I won't say everybody. <laughs> and uh, but it also helped pace. And I wrote my album on Zoom from December from Christmas 2020 to April. So productive. I know. Rude. You know, <laughs> I'm so rude. So um, Jessica also taught me that if you slow down mm -hmm. and you deliver fewer jokes than you intended, the audience never knows what they missed. Exactly. And if you screw up a joke, they're not going to know. They're not going to know how bad you screw up. Yeah, but if you forget, like I've forgotten parts of jokes. I've forgotten like killer lines in a joke, but the audience didn't know. Right. But I knew. Mm. And you're the only one that knows. Yeah. And that's it. So don't. So just commit and have fun. And that's such a huge thing. And Jessica, when it comes to just being in the moment, she's the queen. Yeah, she really is. She 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 told me. I I told her I felt stiff. She told me. I I I went to the acting teacher to get rid of body ticks and she sure. Said, she said you're too stiff and you're good on your feet. You should go up with half a plan. Mm-hmm. She's right. Yeah, I was scared to death of that. So. I decided maybe I could I could go up with 80% plan. And uh, lately, past year, year and a half, I have started to actually not so much do crowd work, but throw a question out to the audience and know exactly how I was going to get back. Okay. It's not the same as yeah. these crowd work people, but it's something. It's, but it's baby steps. It's baby steps. And, and another thing I like to tell comics that want to learn how to break out of that structure and be able to think outside the box or if something happens in the room yeah. to be able to react and not lose your place. Oh. I always tell people, 
go hit an open mic that gives you because because in New York they're like five minutes they're like five six minute mics like in my right. group it was three that was it so um, go to an open mic with no material and just talk and see what comes out it's it's That'd a real great exercise no but it's a great because they don't care they're too busy looking at their notes waiting when they're gonna go up they're not listening. Okay. But it's a great exercise to hear your voice out loud being on the stage. Did you lose your, you lost your wig on the, put your wig. But uh, it's a great exercise to get out of your head yeah. and to get in the moment and be able to freestyle. Yeah. And and just, you could go up with a thought in your head, like a premise, not a bit, with a premise and then talk about it and see what, and just trust your gut. Whatever comes out, even if it's stupid, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But it's a good exercise to getting out of your head and being able to be more conversational yeah. with your material. When I go to the mics, mm -hmm. there's nothing else, so you, know, you gotta get up. Yep. There's a mic, so. Um, the young ones want to impress the other comics, and I say, don't, this is the gym. Nobody's coming here to watch you do push-ups. No. Right. So the eventual, uh, some of them get it, um, and uh, you know who Barry Gordy was. He founded yep. Newtown Records, mm -hmm. and because it was uh, an inner city, you know, label appealing to the black community, mm -hmm. um, not everybody had an agent. Mm -hmm. So he accepted unsolicited material, meaning right. you didn't have to have a fancy connection in right. order to get him to listen to your tape. But most stuff, 90% of everything is crap. Yeah. So he would take in a tape. He'd put it in the reel-to-reel -reel or cassette player. Right. And he would read his mail or the paper. And if something got his attention, if something got him to look up and actually listen, yep. that's, when he, that's when he maybe had something. Mm -hmm. And so that's a similar experience to going to an open mic and getting laughs from comedians. Yeah. If you actually get laughs from the comedians, there's a pretty good chance normal people are going to laugh too, unless they laugh because it's dirty or they laugh for the wrong reason. Yeah, but you know what the wrong and right reasons, because I go yeah. up because I don't give a shit. Yeah. So I've I've gone to people's mics that like, hey, I'm going to go up and do like five, and I just riff. Yeah. And that's how I write. I just have the premise, I'll write down a premise, and then I go up on stage and I talk about it and riff on it. And, because I've done this for so long. That's yeah. my comedy muscle. That's the 10,000 hours of experience. They're yeah. be pushing 30,000 hours now. So, Oh, my God. Wow. So it's like, you know, I just go up and riff. And usually I get laughs. But that's because I everything I say when I'm on stage comes out in my comedy voice. Because yeah. I have conditioned it for so many years. So I'm at that point. Everything I say will come out as a bit. It's just, it's, it's, it's just practice. Yeah, but, you know, Woody is a writer first. Yes. And because he's a writer first, you could see him do exactly the same bit, almost exactly the same way, mm -hmm. 10, 12 times on different recordings and shows. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Cosby also a writer and performer. Mm -hmm. um, but his bits are very scripted. Yeah. Uh and so I learned that, but then you watch Groucho. Right. Who, who was so fast. Yes. Um, a, a Groucho moment that the children won't know about. Um, he hosted a, he was so good at the riffing that a producer named John Guadel suggested Groucho do a quiz show 
That was basically the excuse for him to riff with the contestants. Sure. It was called You Bet Your Life. It ran. Oh, I remember that show. It ran from 1947 to 1961. Wow. And it was a very highly rated show. Yeah. And a lot of stuff didn't make it to air. In course. Right. And there was an outtakes reel. Uh, that's a, there's a there's a You Bet Your Life DVD collection and an outtakes reel, and they've shown it in document. They've shown this in documentaries. 1957. A blonde, buxom woman, exactly Groucho's type, you know, yep. comes out as a contestant. Sure. And, you know, Groucho's eyes go funny. Of course. Um, and, again, he's riffing with the contestants. And um, he asked this woman, what do you do? And she said, well, Groucho, uh, I'm a teacher, but I'd, uh, I'd love to have children. And Groucho asked, well, how are you going to balance that? Uh, and she said, Groucho, I think if a woman keeps her feet on the ground, she can do anything. Groucho said, if you keep your feet on the ground, you'll never be a mother. <laughs> Huge laugh. Yeah. Huge, long laugh right? I've never seen before. And as the laugh was dying down, Groucho tells the audience, that's what we call a waste of film. Another <laughs> big one. Yep. <laughs> but it made the outtakes yeah, real. That's hilarious. Yeah, back then, that was very risque. That was very, oh, like, like, ooh, how do you talk like that on national television? Well, it never made it to national exactly. television. Nowadays, that's like kid stuff. But it's the speed. It's the speed and the ballsiness <laughs> and the greatness. But that's why he's great. Yeah. And, you know, the kids today <laughs> with the hair and the music. They, they don't think of that stuff as as funny. Funny, it's like funny is consistent as as Carol Montgomery taught us. Funny never gets old. Yep, right. But yet, what the kids find funny is a little different today. Oh yeah, it's a whole different world than it was back then. And I don't know how to account for the change in taste. Is it just pop culture? I don't think so. I don't. Oh, I don't know what the X factor is. It's not that you and I are not funny to those audiences. But there are things that you and I might not find as funny because we are of a certain age. Right. It's not. It's part of it's pop culture, but it's also just environmental. And these kids are being raised in a different generation than we were being raised from our parents, and so on and so on. Like our parents wouldn't find us hilarious, and we, you know, and but they're like, but we're funny, you know. If you look at comedy in the '80s, even. Yeah. You know, very campy, very shticky, very you know animated very silly you know and as the 90s came you know when grunge music and emo stuff came and then more fe people got more emotional and then things started getting darker and darker i just think it's how do you generational emo funny right how do you know phillips uh, i'm not talking about him but i love him but he was brilliant you were, referring, you were referring to something else like emo like emo music it was like a type of music. oh yeah like okay emo goth Everybody, email meaning emotions and feeling. Oh, oh, oh my God. You know, everything was about party rock in the in the 80s. In the 70s, it was about dancing and getting high and stupid stuff. And Emo Phillips is a space alien who's, uh, he, he'd, he'd have been funny at any time. Oh, no, he's tra he's just, the, he's one of my favorites. Like when it, he's so brilliant and I wish the kids today knew who he was. And Mitch Hedberg also. Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. Ten, ten years earlier, his jokes would still have gone over just as well. Actually, today, he would still kill. I think he would still kill today. And a lot of the comedian, a lot of the young ones think comedy started with Mitch Hedberg. Yeah, and a lot of them... Or Dave Vitale. Yeah, a lot of them think it started with Dave Chappelle, too. Huh. 
So it's there. They don't know their. But see, that's the thing is too. Like with these new jacks, and I try to have conversations with them. And I remember one time I was doing a show. This is a couple years ago, and we got talking about comics and people we've worked with. And yeah. I, you know, I worked with Paul Mooney. I've worked with Andrew Dice Clay. And the girl was a comic, and she goes, "Who's Andrew Dice Clay? I've never heard." Oh my god! And I said, "Get out! <laughs> Get out!" <laughs> You don't know your know your history. I mean, I can understand people not knowing who Paul Mooney is because he's, you know, he's more on the writer's side. He's more he was more in the background, but he was the professor. He's like the godfather of comedy. But Dice was such a huge icon and such a prominent figure in stand up, and one of the first guys to make stand up comedy rock star level, yeah. where he took it to the garden. We were like, you can do that. And Dice did it and did stadium tours all over the world. He started that. like, And then, then came the Dane Cooks and the Sebastian Maniscalcos and the mm -hmm. Bill Burrs and the Chris Rocks and all the other stadium comics that started coming out because we're like, whoa, we can do that? And that was, you know, our biggest, like our biggest venue we could think of selling out would be like the Beacon Theater. Ooh. And now but Steve Martin was probably the first stadium comic. Oh yeah, with a special, but uh, but I'm talking like when it came to like rock star status. Yeah. Oh, oh no, that the light went out. Hold on, we'll be right back. And we're back. Sorry, technical difficulties. Apparently, I still didn't pay the Con Ed bill, and now I have this all MacGyvered. So that's right. We're we're getting close to the end anyway, so it's How totally fun. fine. I know, so I know, I feel like so butch at this point. I grew up blue collar and poor white trash. You know, we had to fix things. We had to learn how to do shit ourselves because we couldn't afford to do it normally. And look at you, you're built like a brick house. Yeah, I love She's a brick house. Yeah. <laughs> I love to lift heavy shit. That's and my that's my thing. Oh, uh, so I will tell you my dice story, which isn't really a me story. Okay. Um, in 1990, I was booking a comedy trio called Funny Gay Males into colleges and whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and um, they got on Howard Stern. Oh, that's so they took me with them at 7 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And um, it, was very, it was very exciting. And, of course, Howard, being Howard, had a drum of a little controversy. So, like, three gay comics in the studio... You know, fine. It's three gay comics in the studio. How many? How many gay jokes can you make? Yeah. He got Dice on the phone. <laughs> so it was Dice versus these three really funny, in in uh, two out of the three really queeny comedians. One of them was Bob Smith, who was the. Bird. I love Bob Smith. Oh, I loved him so much. It was Bob Smith, Danny McWilliams, and Jaffe Cohen. Of the I remember Jaffe Cohen. Right, Jaffe is all is isn't doing stand up far as I know. Now he's just writing. Perfect. Yeah, uh, Bob Smith loved. Bob was astounding. Yeah. Um, such a such a great writer. Um. They were in the studio and they, they were in the studio and they called Dyson. There was this nice little back and forth. They kept calling him Andrew. Good. <laughs> um, but um, so um, and Howard kept having one of them back. Uh, they, they, they a character, a sort of recurring character on the show became Gay Jaffe. 
Oh, that's so funny. You know, they, they named you by your disability. Yeah, and, and then your name, yeah. <laughs> you know, old, old, old Black Al. Yep. <laughs> fat somebody. St or stuttering John. Stuttering John. Yeah, right. so they were all so your disability or your handicap and then right. your name. Yeah, that's gay, totally. Gay Jaffe. That's so East Coast. That's a very East Coast thing. Is it? Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you can't, you can't, Howard's not very West Coast. No. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but, uh, oh, God. Been around comedy for forever. Oh, Jonathan Katz, obviously. How did I leave out Jonathan Katz at I, the December 1st birthday? Hello. Right. Jonathan, Jonathan Katz, Sarah Silverman, Bette Midler, Richard Pryor, and Woody Allen, sort of. So, right. um, I've been working with Jonathan Katz since 2007, producing his podcast. Hey, we're back. That's what it's oh, called. Yeah, that's so great. If you guys check it out, it, Jonathan Katz was one of one of the one of the OGs of just truly funny, truly intelligent. Yeah, um, we have a really we have a really big recording coming up uh, on Friday. Just in case it doesn't happen, I don't want to say who it is, but somebody somebody really big, somebody everybody's heard of if you've heard of comedy. Um, but Jonathan's been in comedy so long, and he produced the first animated series for Comedy Central. I Do was just going to bring that up. Dr. Casper. One of my favorite shows on Comedy Central. Dr. Cass, professional therapist, ran six seasons on Comedy Central. Yep. And, you know, you become friends with everybody when you have a team. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite episodes is when he had Dom Irera on there. Dom? He got <laughs> at a love affair. Dom is one of the funniest underrated comics and legends in this industry he's one of the top top he had that moms. macho italian thing where he had to keep telling you he wasn't gay yeah by saying you know i'm not gay or anything <laughs> well i love you but not in a gay way yeah <laughs> not in a gay way yep. was was one of his big things yeah and he sang a love song to dr katz during yep. therapy Oh. That was the premise of the show, Yeah. by the way. Uh, comedians would do their act on his couch as if yep. they were saying their troubles, and yep. Jonathan would interrupt and, and be funny. And judge them and all that. It was so great. It was such a great show. Yes. Um. So, and people are still asking for new Dr. Katz episodes. He's not doing that, but he is doing Hey, We're Back. Um. Wendy Liebman is his therapist. Oh, fantastic. She's so incredible. I love Wendy so much. There have been several Wendy segments. Uh, there, there, there's, there's, yeah, there's going to yeah. be great. More Wendy stuff. Uh, Good. Um, we had Andy Kindler on, Sarah Silverman. Good. Um, oh, my God. Who else? I don't know. Go to JonathanCats.com. Yeah, and you can look it all up. But yeah. uh, Fabulous. I always like to wrap up the show with two questions that I've never heard anybody be asked on a comedy podcast before. So, okay. of course, leave it to me to find the most obscure shit to ask. But these are my favorite questions to ask because it's stupid. It means nothing. But it's fun, and it tells everything. Who cares? Favorite brand of underwear. No, good. None. Okay, so <laughs> um, my first question I always ask is, is there a bit a comic has written that made you go, damn it, that's brilliant. I wish I had written that. What was it? Oh, wow. Um, well, it kind of comes out of his life experience, but... Okay. Sort of. Woody Allen's The Vodka Ad. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, that's just, yeah, it's it's too insanely funny. Um, and, and it's stuff like that that makes you go, oh my god! It's just like to me, it's inspiring, and then it's like, damn. It's it's like a, I don't know if it's 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 
maybe four minutes. Right. Um, but it's a story with so many great jokes inside it, and it yeah. continues to be a great story throughout. And just like, wow, that was that's the kind of thing I aspire to do is to tell a four-minute story with that many great jokes inside. Cosby does that, too. Yeah, all, a lot of storytellers I know, they're, that, that's a gift. Being a storyteller is a gift. I'm not a storyteller. Mm. I like punch, 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 bam, bam, bam. I'm like a machete. I'm like a machine gun up there. You know, I'm just rattling joke after joke after joke and digging and digging. It's just... Yeah, but you're not you're not, not in the Borscht Belt stuff. No, 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 no. You have a, you have a story. You have something I have introduced. A, yeah, I have on. premises, but I know how. It's just my style. You know, I don't tell, you know, I, anyway. But anyway. Okay, yeah, there's so, that. And uh, what is your favorite street joke? Because, you know, as co- old comics like to sit around the green room and tell stupid street jokes and okay. try to make each other laugh. Okay. Y- you told me you were going to ask this. Yes, I did. And I have it. Okay. All right. Now, this comes from a time... It's not a short joke. Is that okay? Tell it, girl. Okay. So this comes from a time before there was political correctness. And it takes place in New York City, which has lots of different cultures. Can I just say right before you tell it that I love that you set up a street joke as a movie script. Interior, New York City. (laughs) Multicultural backgrounds are all sitting around. I love you so much. Okay. Well, (laughs) your brain. Regardless. So, So, 1960s old school Irish beat cop Mm -hmm. sees a large black man talking to a little Hasidic guy Mm -hmm. on 33rd Street. Okay. Yeah, figures there's going to be trouble. Sure enough, 15 seconds into the interaction, black man punches little Hasidic guy square in the face. Little Jew falls down. Cop runs over. What happened here? Little Jew said, I don't know. I was talking to this nice man. He punched me in the face. Black man said, that's not what happened. He made a horrible racist remark. Little Dizzy Jew said, I don't know what he's talking about. I was giving him directions. He asked me, where's the Empire State Building? And I told him, I says, you're a black bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Now, because New York City is so full of different cultures and there are cultural misunderstandings because of an accent... I need to get told a joke like Vicky if you don't yeah. tell a joke like Jackie Mason. It's not going to be a joke. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm a block best. Yeah, that's really cute. Yeah. That's really cute. I like it a lot. The <laughs> people would be recycling that, don't worry. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's a street joke from 1965. Yes. Oh, I love it. Would Dana, it... I love you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. I love working with you, and and you're just such a you're just a breath of fresh air and I love it because you just have such a different outlook and you're so positive and it's so hard to meet comics that just you know positive and just enjoy life it's not really a breath of fresh air I use Listerine good night good night and tell everybody where they can find you on the socials and if you have any shows coming up oh um well DanaFriedman.com new website about to launch uh, on the socials, what? I'm on the Facebook. I think it's Dana Friedman NYC 64. Okay. Dana Friedman 64 on all the others. Um, oh, boy. Well, I was supposed to be in Israel doing a whole bunch of shows, but I had to cancel. Uh, so I have a whole bunch of end of December stuff that is not going to exist anymore. <laughs> um, oh, God. I'm doing Broadway Comedy Club January 
16th. Great. Uh, uh, January 16th. Okay, perfect. I love it. And uh, I, you can always follow me on the socials at Christy Miller Comedy. And you can follow this show also on Instagram at Old School New School Comedy, spelled S K O O L. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the show. We love you. See you next week.